Hi everyone, welcome back to Culture Bucket, the world's greatest podcast. Um, you are tuning in to episode 60, uh, six zero, halfway to the big 120. Couldn't be more excited to be here uh, today for our big, we talk about him all the time and we're finally doing a full special on one of his movies, our Wes Anderson special, the French Dispatch special, exciting. Uh, can't wait to talk about it. And I can't talk about it on my own, so here with me, I'm George, by the way, and here with me is Alex. Hi, Alex. Hi, George. Hi, everyone. How are you, George, today? Hey, hey, great. I'm the best I've ever been. Everything in my life is perfect. So, um, Uh. yeah, people should be pretty jealous of me and the position (laughs) that I have achieved in my life because it's pretty fine, let me tell you. How are you? None of that's true, by the way. It's, everything's terrible. Sarcasm to the next level, G. <laughs> if uh, people could see your face right now, uh, they would know that <laughs> that was not the truth. Uh, I'm great. Thank you. I, uh, uh, yeah, I feel the same as you. Perfect. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. I then. feel like the, the, com- the going back to school after the Christmas holidays is the hardest. And I'm getting over the hump. That rotten hump. So, uh, what better time to um, discuss whimsical fun than now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. oh, it's just great. So, so we're going to talk about uh, a movie called The French Dispatch of the Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is a Wes Anderson movie, and unlike any other Wes Anderson movies, it's an anthology movie. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to break down the three segments, or four, or even five, technically, segments within the movie. Yeah. And, uh, and um, maybe maybe rank them. Maybe we could do a top five of the French Dispatch, right? <laughs> we can rank yeah. the segments uh, in terms of our yeah. personal preference. That's an idea right now, oh. top of my head. But we're going to do I it. it. I commit to doing it at the end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, good. Definitely. Um, before we get into the French Dispatch, let's do a little mini culture roundup. Because uh, I did promise on Instagram to talk about a gig I went to this week. So I'd better do <gasps> that uh, today. And um, yeah, so have you got anything to talk about this week, Alex? Uh, well, you have to start this week anyway, so. Oh, right, okay. Uh, you are, you are a stickler for sticking to any sort of structure that you can i have got issues <laughs> gee that's how i cope with life okay. structure yeah. and uh and uh, and uh, you know things have to go a certain way you've known me for years you know what i realized this year today the other day go on we met nine years ago yeah with my pants ripped and my tights ripped <laughs> mine was worse <laughs> And separately, guys, separately, but we but we met, 
we 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 met and when we left the party we were at we hadn't met at the party we met outside when we were leaving yeah 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 both very drunk yeah and both just had a very severe wardrobe malfunction yeah the seat of my trousers tore open inside an embassy <laughs> building it was really bad <laughs> and my tights were totally ripped I don't know how, I don't know why. And we, we were in a very, like, prestigious place. Yeah, it's um, serious business. It was serious business, but we were very drunk as well. So, yeah, we, we met nine years ago. How incredible is that? Yeah, it's pretty mad. Is it nine years ago? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because next year will be a decade. Oh, that's awful. Awful. <laughs> Brilliant. But I'm, you know, nine years of joy and bliss and, you know, well, every day. Three years of that like... and then sort of six years of getting by. <laughs> six years of, oh, how are you doing? But yeah, so uh, happy nearly decade anniversary. Yeah, thank you. It's great. G. Good. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Hopefully so. we'll see this, each other this year. Yeah, maybe. Oh, that'd be good. Uh, in person, because we see each other every weekend. But okay, that would be nice. Moving on. <laughs> so. This is Culture Catch-Up Time. This is where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. I would see my favourite band in the world perform music live in person this week. What? Was that your first time? It wasn't your first time. It was my third time. Third time. Third time. Uh, the band is Idols, of course, and they are currently on tour mm. in support of their album Crawler, although when they announced the tour, it was to support their album Ultra Mono. That's how long this tour has been <laughs> waiting to happen <laughs> due to, uh, yeah. you know, reasons that we're all aware of. Um, so, yeah, uh, Idols did three nights at the Victoria Warehouse in Manchester, which is the closest location to where I am. Uh, it's a big... Uh, warehouse. I it's not. A, it's probably my least favorite venue in Manchester, but it's the one they chose to perform at. So I went, and um, yeah, the first time I saw them was in twenty nineteen, and I was really ill, so I just stood at the back and tried not to throw up. So it wasn't a particularly exciting uh, experience. Second time <laughs> I went and saw them was last year in September, um, and they played a very small venue in Leeds, and that was exciting. And this was sort of the first time I got to see them at a full. Big show, feeling up to it and excited, and uh, it was glorious and wonderful. And they performed. <laughs> what I love about them when they perform live is they don't do an encore; they just play from when they come on until they have to leave. So they played like twenty-one songs, which was a good long wow. set. Uh, it was a mix of songs from all four albums, including plenty from Crawler. And you can go back and listen to our special episode on Crawler to hear more on our thoughts about that really fantastic album. Um, but they also played stuff like, uh, you like Ultramono, don't you? They played a hymn off Ultramono, yeah. that slow song off Ultramono, mm. which was really cool to see live. And um, they finished by playing uh, The End, which is the final track on Crawler. Um, well, that was actually the penultimate song, but they played The End, which is the final track on Crawler, which has the line, uh, mm. in spite of it all, life is beautiful, which was going around my head for days and days afterwards, which um, is uh, sort of a... A very hopeful feeling, which I liked. 
So yeah, it was really amazing mm. to see them live. And um, if you get a chance to see them live and you feel comfortable and safe uh, in going to a, a busy live venue like that, then you definitely should catch them because they're the best. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, good crowd? Was there a good crowd? Yeah, there was the... a good crowd. There was not two. There's been a lot of reports of phones being stolen on this tour, which is sad, and it was happening there as well. Um, so look after your belongings and stuff when you go to places like this because there will always be awful people trying to ruin everyone's time, um, including apparently smart yeah. smartwatches being taken off wrists and stuff in, in the mosh pit. Um, but no, generally... Wow, the... that's... <laughs> That's pretty... Yeah, these people are skilled. They know what they're doing. It's Yeah, that's horrible. skills. Can you imagine, like, stealing a smartwatch without nobody noticing? It's bonkers. It is mad. Or just anything, a yeah. watch. Um, but, yeah, no, the crowd was generally good. It was... Uh, it, no, it was a really fun time. Glad I went. Uh, other than that, I've seen a couple of movies this week that I'll briefly give some reviews of. So I went to see the new Guillermo del Toro movie, Nightmare Alley. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I will, uh, yeah, I want to go and see that. Cool. It's a 2021 film, although it didn't come out in the UK until January of 2022. Um, mm. Stars Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, uh, Rooney Mara, an actress that I adore and whose name I've forgotten and she should have won an Oscar for Hereditary. What's her name? What's her name? Tony Collette. Tony Collette. Tony Collette. I'm terrible. Uh, Tony Collette. Uh, they're sort of on the poster, but then beyond them, you've got people like Willem Dafoe is in here. And, you know, we've talked at length about how much we love Willem Dafoe. <laughs> He's in everything. He's been very busy yeah, this year. Yeah, he really has. <laughs> um, Ron Perlman's in there because, you know, it's a Guillermo del Toro movie, so Ron Perlman's going to pop up. Um who else? Mary Steenburgen turns up for a minute. David Strathairn turns up for a minute. Uh, it's a movie that is two and a half hours long. That's the first thing to get out of the way. It's a long film. Yeah, yeah. It's fully a movie. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a movie in two parts, very much. It opens with Bradley Cooper's character um, arriving. It's called Stan, and he arrives at a carnival. And then sort of decides to stick around the carnival and lives there and sort of starts to earn a living living with the carnival people, uh, run by Ron Perlman, uh, but also featuring Rooney Mara as the electric woman, uh, Tony Collette as a fortune teller, Dr David Strathairn as a mu uh, magician. And the movie spends um, a fair amount of time at the carnival setting that world up and is pretty engaging and interesting. But you, I did spend a lot of that time thinking, what's the storyline? Because at the moment it's just sort of Bradley Cooper <laughs> sort of palling around with, with carnival people and sort of... It's fine, but like, where's the story? And then at a certain point, um, we move away from the carnival and the plot, about an hour into the movie, the plot actually goes, here I am, here's the story. And the story is not good. And the movie Aww. screeches to a halt and for about an hour and a half is one of the most boring times I've had in the cinema in uh, forever, as long as I can remember. No. This movie is bad. I didn't like this movie at all. Sorry to report because I love Guillermo del Toro and like his one of yeah. his last movies was uh, The Shape of Water, which won all, loads of Oscars, rightfully so, because it was a masterpiece. And he's just an inconsistent filmmaker because he made Crimson Peak a few years ago, and that again was just sort of didn't really do anything. And this is another one of his movies where I don't know, and it's partly I've I been mean, and I've enjoyed her in other stuff, but this is the worst performance I've seen Kate Blanchett giving anything, and it's an. Uh, her and Bradley Cooper are doing an almost intentional noir thing, like a crime mm. noir thriller type of performance, but it's just 
bad and boring and the character motivations aren't clear and at some point Richard Jenkins turns up and and the whole story just is not good and then about 10 minutes before the end I kind of realized where it was about to go where it was about to end and I was I leaned over to uh, my brother who I'd gone to see it with and I was like I'm gonna burn down a tree if this happens and it it, it, it did happen and uh, I was annoyed. I didn't burn down the tree, but I was like, oh, God, that's the weakest ending. I, I Yeah, disappointing times. It's had mixed reviews. Some people really like it, so you should still give it a go uh, and report back. But um, hmm. I'd, have loved to, I'd have loved a film about Willem Dafoe's character rather than Bradley Cooper's character, let's put it that way. That's terrible. I'm glad I didn't go and see it. I know. It's because, de- I definitely wouldn't know. say it's a film, a, a, you know, a cinema visit. It's definitely more of a... Um, uh, you know, stream it on Netflix when it pops up on Netflix, kind of thing. Um, mm. but yeah, that was that one. Next up is uh, there's two more movies to talk about, and then we'll move on. There's a film I went to see a film that's a 2020 movie. It was released in America in 2020, but didn't come out in the UK where I am until 2022. Despite being a British film, bizarrely, uh, it's a British horror film written and directed by Romola Garay, who's an actress, uh, and this is her directorial debut. And uh, it stars Carla Drury, Alex Sekarenu, and Imelda Staunton, um, of, of mm. all people. And it follows a character uh, called Thomas, who is um, sort of starts the movie off. Uh, he's in an unspecified, war-torn, sort of Eastern European country. Uh, escapes, comes to the UK, comes to live in the UK, and... Um, through various unfortunate events that happen to him. He's found by a nun played by Imelda Staunton who takes pity on him and brings him to the home of Magda who uh, lives in an old run-down house that's falling apart with her mother living in the attic and she has to look after her mother who is very unwell and poorly. Mm. And Tomas agrees to live there for free board and food and uh, kind of... He's a builder by trade, so he's going to fix up the house and look after it. And then over the course of the movie, we learn that basically none of the characters are who they claim to be from the start. There's a lot of hidden motivations and sort of dark pasts going on all over the place. And um, it's a very slow burn sort of psychological horror film in the vein of maybe Mm. a Saint Maud, which I was raving about on this podcast Okay. Last year mm. or the year before, even in twenty twenty, was my favorite film of twenty twenty. I think uh, it's not quite as good as Saint Maud. This movie, but it it definitely is worth watching if you get if you can get hold of it because it's been banging around for for years. It seems, although it's only just made made any noise in the UK. Um, but yeah, Imelda Staunton is very very good in it. She's she's only in a handful of scenes. They obviously didn't have her for much time because it's a very low budget movie, and she's the only kind of recognizable actor in it. But she's uh she's good, and um. I was a bit sort of unsure about it for most of its runtime and then it jumps off the deep end in the final 15 minutes and sort of makes it all worthwhile in quite a interesting mm. way. It's it's had I read, I was looking up a lot of reviews. I won't I can't go into why without spoiling it, but there's a lot of people that are very angry about the film in reviews due to maybe finding out things about characters that you the it feels like the film wants you to sympathize with and when you find out certain things about them you immediately like that is not a character I'm interested in sympathising with. But I find that, oh, okay. you know, that's part of what makes it a horror film, part of what makes it kind of an interesting, not 
easy to categorize kind of movie um and i kind of appreciate that about it but equally i can appreciate the people that don't like it um it's not a defense of it but it's interesting that the movie again i can't go into why but it's mm. inter- it's interesting the movie is written directed by a woman based on the way the film plays out so yeah it's um it's a complicated little movie but i liked it so i'd recommend people check out amulet if they get a chance uh, and lastly uh my film of the week this week I'm not even going to pretend to not love it. The movie I absolutely love, Five Star Smash, and I'm going to insist that you watch it and that we do a special on it, um, that's non-negotiable, is um, a movie that I watched... Marry Me. No. Yeah, Marry Me. I haven't seen Marry Me yet, but that's coming. Uh, I watched this on Friday night and I fell in love with it and I've been listening to the soundtrack on repeat since and I just can't... I, I absolutely adore it, and it is the latest uh, Disney movie, Encanto. Ah, okay. Um, Encanto is a film about, and I won't go into too much detail, because, I mean, I really think if you watch it and enjoy it, we should do a special on it, because there's so much to talk about with this movie. It's such an interesting okay. film. But it's it's about the family madrigal, a uh, family that live in a, you know, a sort of Mexican or Spanish-inspired fantasy village somewhere the setting the time place and setting of it are never made clear and don't really matter because it's a sort of fantasy movie uh but this family live in this house this enchanted house uh, that they call their encanto and uh, the idea is that the the abuela of the family who i think is the grandmother i think abuela means grandmother Mm -hmm. i've 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 gathered that from watching enough lin-manuel miranda (laughs) things at this point um so the abuela was gifted a magic candle and around this candle the house formed itself and the house can kind of the floorboards can move and the diff- various the walls and tiles on the walls can move around and stuff and it's all it's like a character in and of itself and um, every member of the family when they come of age a door appears in the house and they go and open the door and a, a magical gift or power is bestowed upon them so one of the sisters is very very strong one of the other sisters mm. can make flowers grow uh, the mother can heal people by cooking food for them. If they eat her food, they get healed. Um, wow. The film follows Mirabelle Madrigal, who is voiced by Stephanie Beatrice, who was um, ah, yeah. Rosa from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, and, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, she's very good in this movie. Um, and In the Heights. And she's in In the Heights as well. Have you seen In the Heights? No. All right. It's, pretty, it's not amazing, but it's worth a watch. It's a good film. Um, Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. I saw it in the cinema last year. Uh, so she is Mirabelle Madrigal and when she came of age and opened and went to open the door the door disappeared and she didn't receive a gift or a power and she has to live as the only member of this family who doesn't have a power and is sort of not really actively shunned but is sort of ends up feeling shunned as a result of this um and the movie's basically, she discovers at one point that the house is maybe losing its magic, losing its power, and she goes on a mission to save the family and save the house from uh, from losing its magic. And through that, she kind of learns home truths about various members of her family, and it's all very sort of engaging and charming and funny and humorous, and the songs are very good, Disney songs, and it's it's good for all of those things, but the thing that really makes me love it is that it's very subversive about what a disney movie is it doesn't do the things you expect a disney movie to do and i don't want to say what those oh. things are because i don't want to spoil it but i think that's why it's something we could maybe discuss longer at length if you watch it because um it's 
almost a commentary on Disney films at times and in a very kind of clever and interesting way. And I think it is a film that sort of came and went and people didn't really notice it until it hit Disney Plus for streaming because it came out in like November or December last year. And now I think in the past couple of mm. weeks, one of the songs from it has become the first Disney song to go to number one on the singles chart in America in 20, 30 years or something. So it's sort of building steam wow. slowly as people discover it and kind of see actually it's, you know, it's a really good film. So yeah, Encanto is a masterpiece. I really loved it and uh, everyone should watch it. Sounds good. Yeah, man, it's great. Yeah, because I, I I was planning to watch it, and then I saw, uh, and then it was one of those evenings that I I wasn't ready for anything new, so I watched Luca again. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> Luca's good film. Luca's a great. <laughs> Luca's so good. But yeah, but you should definitely get Encanto yeah. watched because I it took me ages to get to it, and then when I watched it, I I just yeah really loved it. Lovely. Yeah, it looks good. Is it also looks amazing? Very colorful and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah, massively so. Um, and then you can, we can talk about Bruno, and that would be exciting to talk about Bruno. Okay. Who's Bruno? Uh, we don't talk about Bruno, but we will okay. when <laughs> you've seen the movie. Okay, we'll talk about Bruno when I, once I no, watch it. No, we don't talk about Bruno. Okay, sorry. Well, right. I don't know what you're talking about. Watch the movie. Right, go and go on. I what will. have you been watching, doing, looking at? Um, so um, I haven't, uh, the only thing that I've been doing uh, this week is something that I wasn't going to do. And then <laughs> I watched a lot of interviews with people that are in this TV show. And You've been watching I Euphoria, haven't. haven't you? Yeah, I have been watching <laughs> Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, yeah, so after watching the first season, I was like, I'm never going to venture in that craziness again yeah uh, and then uh you know they've been doing uh the cast has been doing you know their their uh, rounds around uh, talk shows yeah. and i've been watching them talking about euphoria and ah uh, and then uh, and then them talking about how it's made and how the attention to detail in the film and i was like oh and i put it off put it off and then i watched it so if if uh, you are new uh, with us and you don't know Euphoria and you don't live in this world, uh, because it's it's pretty popular this se- season, like it's gone. Yeah, it's become totally... the first season kind of went under the radar a little bit, but the second season yeah. is, is massive. I haven't watched it, and but it's I, big. I've, I've read that like they made like 100% extra people are watching it. Like like they doubled their viewers, viewers, yeah. viewings. Yeah, yeah crazy and it's a it's um it's a teen drama uh written by sam levinson and it's on hbo uh and uh, what i said about it about the first season was it was like uh skins and uh, sex education on steroids and i still think that <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty raunchy and uh you know the first scene um the first like three minutes uh in the second season first episode of second season you know they're in a strip club and you see everything and in this season there's a lot of more penises uh there's a lot of penises uh which is like i i i i i, I don't watch hbo so for me it's like was was a uh, game of thrones like that like really nude uh, Game of Thrones, yes, they, they the coin, yeah. the term sex position was coined, but for Game of Thrones, described the scenes where 
characters would talk about the plot and explain what was happening, but while they were having sex. So yeah, it, there was a lot so, of, it was very sort of sexy show. Yeah. And even though I've been watching more HBO series, I've watched Girls, I've watched Euphoria, uh, I'm still kind of getting used to the the nakedness of it because I didn't realize you could show so much nakedness but apparently you can um and so and it's about these students uh are in this uh um high school students and uh it just follows uh them and their their lives they don't seem to be in lessons ever uh they don't they go to school but they seem to be partying more or being in the toilets chatting so there's not it's not about the school it's about uh them the first, the first season I wasn't really convinced about, but this season is actually really good. Wow. Like, I'm enjoying it much more than the last season. I feel like the, 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 what I felt like last time, they were pushing so many boundaries for the sake of it, mm. but this time there's still the nudity, there's still the lots of sex, there's still, there's still like... But um, it seems like the the characters are more formed and it makes more sense and um and you I appreciate more how it's made like the plot is the plot you know they take a lot of drugs they party a lot they uh they have problems but um it it does it does tackle a lot of teenage angst and te- and things that maybe teenagers should know Mm-mm-mm. would I. Would I recommend it to a teenager? I don't know. I prob- I, well, like, I can't recommend it, but if you watch it, you know, I'm sure you've seen all of that before. Um, Thanks, <laughs> so, um, But, um, and I don't know, like, it's, I, I feel it's better and I'm enjoying it more and I feel it's less silly than the first season. But maybe the first season I was looking at it in a really kind of judgmental eye. I don't know. But I feel like this is better. Also it's filmed in a really interesting way and it looks a little bit more old school. And um the actors are really good in it. Zendaya is amazing. You you forget how good like Zendaya's been in everything. You know, she's done uh Disney or Nickelodeon, one of the channels. She's done Dancing with the Stars. She's done she has had a mu- a pop music career. She's been in everything and you could like she she's done everything amazingly. And now she's, you know, she's just been in Spider-Man and now she's in Euphoria and she's a she's uh an, an addict in Euphoria. Uh, very different like complete Polar. I don't forget her amazing work in Dune. <laughs> oh, she's good, isn't yeah, she? She's of so course. good. She's so good in Dune. Um, but she's amazing in in this, and everybody's really good in it. And um, uh, it's still very dark, and there's still lots of like you know uh, issues with the, you know drug addiction, um, uh, sexuality, uh, violence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I feel like it's a bit deeper than the first season and Sweet. i enjoy it cool. and um you know at the end of each episode it's like if you have any of these issues and it's like drug addiction violence uh sexual everything it's like please contact someone because there's 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 a lot and um in fact you said a couple of weeks ago that zendaya did uh put a warning out to people 
to her fans to be careful with euphoria and i think she i think it was right for her to do because yeah. it it is uh it is a lot and uh, but it's uh, it's well done so second season I've watched. I'm watching it because I'm only at, uh, there's only uh, four episodes came out, but I'll carry on watching it, and uh, you know maybe you should give it a go. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> now that we're Zendaya fans, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I, I might watch it. I've got, know, I've got. There's, there's a lot of TV shows that I want to watch, but I'll, I'll consider it. If just you could get paid to watch TV shows, yeah. that would be a great. Yeah. Maybe one day no. we can describe ourselves as that, but not yet. But yeah, so that's uh, that's what I've been doing, and uh, yeah, which is terrible. Even though I've sworn I would not watch it, but I did. The pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's it for me. I've uh, just uh, been watching uh, Euphoria, and tonight I'm going to start watching the latest season of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah. Oh cool! Yeah, I've not, I've not, I've, I'm, I've, I'm so behind on Brooklyn Nine Nine. I'll catch up one day. There's too many TV shows to watch. I know it's crazy. Instead of watching new ones, I just rewatch. I think you should leave over and over again. Oh my! So that I can memorize <laughs> it by heart. <laughs> do you do you like repeat it after they say something? Yeah, you just yeah, gotta yeah. like pra- repeat practice it, it. like you're listening yeah. to, <laughs> like you're listening to a song. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's Amazing. it does move to the beat of jazz. <laughs> Does it? Yeah, it's like a cosmic gumbo. Okay. Right. <laughs> Let's um, move on and talk about our main topic for today, which is the French dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun. Yes. 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 Yes, please. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, so, uh, it's exciting to talk about it. I'm, I can't wait to talk about it. Let's go through what have I got? I've got notes here, so I've got um, so my notes go in this order, and you can tell me if you're happy with this order. Cast, yeah, yeah. Box office, yeah. Critical reception, yeah. Plot, hi, and um, then a look to the future for Wes Anderson. What's coming up next? Definitely, yeah. I love everything you do, G. Lovely, love it. So, um, I've <laughs> love, love, love. I've, I've broken. <laughs> I've, I've broken down the cast by segment, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like he, yeah, like he did. So the first segment we get to in this uh, film is well. Before we talk about the cast, let's just do a brief setup. Um, it's a it's a Wes Anderson movie. Came out last year, twenty twenty one, and mm-hmm. it is an anthology movie, meaning it is made up of distinct separate stories with a bookend narrative that sort of links them all together in this case the bookend being that it is set in and around the french dispatch which is a travelogue segment of a weekly newspaper in kansas Mm -hmm. in america and the idea is that they've sent somebody out to france to to send back tales of uh, the goings-on in france which is immediately quite whimsical and interesting because I don't know that that would happen in reality. No, no, um, it just makes no sense. <laughs> and so, yeah, so across the course of the movie, you have a sort of wraparound segment dealing with uh, why these three tales in particular are being brought together. Um, there's a mm. short travelogue section which kind of introduces you to the town that most of the stories are set in, and then you get the three main plot stories. So the book, the bookend narrative is called Obituary, uh, 
and uh, features mm-hmm. actors such as Angelica Houston as the narrator. I know she's back. Yeah, it's so happy. Good to hear her back in a in a Wes Anderson role. Well, was she? In, I think she's in Isle of Dogs. Is she in Isle of Dogs? Is she? I can't remember. I might be wrong on that front. I thought maybe she was in Isle of Dogs, but I could very easily be wrong. Let's have a quick look. Um, I don't. I can't see her. Yes, she was in Isle of Dogs. Was she? Was, oh no no no! Oh, that's weird. And on 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 uh, Wikipedia, she's listed as being in it as a poodle, but then it, in brackets it says mute, and then next to it, it says credit only. So I guess she doesn't yeah. actually speak in it. That's stupid. Okay. Mm. So I guess the last <laughs> the last Wes Anderson movie she was part of is the Darjeeling Limited, all the way back in two thousand seven, from the looks of it. Yeah. Um, that is crazy. So, but she's back here, but in a I voice know. role only as the narrator of the movie and does yeah. uh, very good, depend the, the sort of good dependable work you expect to hear from Angelica Houston. Next up, we've got another one of his regular collaborators, Bill Murray, the wonderful, perfect Bill Murray as Arthur Howitzer Jr., the editor of the French yeah. Dispatch. Good? Yeah, yeah, really good. Like, uh, Bill Murray... <laughs> In a Wes Anderson movie is Bill Murray in his element, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, completely. Like he can pretty much do whatever. And in this one, I think he's like the um cold but also kind human that will, you know, there's they I don't know, but what watching the film, like there are certain rules and he likes things a certain way, but also he's very like open to for everyone yeah and he plays a very old school man i just i don't know i loved him in this one he doesn't say much and he's not too in it too much in it but yeah enough to know that he is a major part of the film yeah he pops up enough to be sort of the glue that holds the whole thing together throughout the film yeah um and he's pretty yeah he is really good in it and like you said yeah very sort of not necessarily kind, but I guess he's set up as being very loyal to his journalists, which is um, yeah. a nice a nice trait to see yeah. play out in the film. Uh, we also have, in sort of smaller roles, but you've got a copy editor, Alumna, played by Elizabeth Moss, one of my favourite actresses. And um, yeah. she gets almost nothing to do she here, but she, she's there. Yeah, perfect. Um, I don't know. I, I, there's something about this film that's got characters that only pop, pop, pop up for a little bit. But you still remember exactly what they're doing and how they're doing it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, sort of notable in these segments is uh, Jason Schwartzman as the cartoonist Herman Jones. And again, similar to Elizabeth Moss, does very little in the film, but it's yeah. nice to have him there. Yeah. And he fe- you know, it feels comforting yeah. knowing that he's in a Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Yeah. He has to be in there. Because if not, yeah, exactly. you think yeah. that something horrible is it's happening. horribly wrong. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. we move into the first segment of the movie, The Cycling Reporter, which only really contains one notable cast member, but it's a big one. Owen Wilson as Herb St. Sazerac. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wish that we had more Owen Wilson in this film. Uh, yes. Yeah. But I feel like the part that he's in is like, it's such a perfect part. It's oh, definitely. The... the is so funny and so surreal and so kind of, and it shows Owen Wilson being Owen Wilson in like 
in a way. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect Owen Wilson type of role. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and like there's an incredible interaction between um, uh, Bill Murray and Owen Wilson here because Bill Murray is not really convinced about what he's writing and Owen Wilson is like, oh no, but it's fine. And so it's kind of like you first you kind of see the 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 warm part of Bill Murray and yeah. and I don't know I think it's just a very well done bit this one yeah no it's it's but we'll talk about it in more detail in a minute but it is perfectly done uh, and then the first main mm-hmm. segment is called the concrete masterpiece and features uh, actors <laughs> yeah. such as Tilda Swinton as J.K.L. Berenson. Yeah. Benicio del Toro as Moses Rosenfaller, Tony Revolori as a yeah. young Moses, Adrian Brody as Julian Cadazio, and Leah Sadu as Simone. Yeah. All of them. I love. This yeah. is maybe my favourite collection of cast members in the film. Oh, yeah. And it works so well. Yeah. And I think it's the first time with this we see Leah Sadu in a Wells Anderson film. Yeah, I think it is, and she's very, very good. She she fits in perfectly. She's very good. Yeah, oh, she doesn't change her her expression once. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't. This at is all. what you get. Yeah, she doesn't. She's just like that. Yeah, and it's beautiful and but so powerful. There's a scene where she just opens like a little door, and you only see her uh, like yeah. her face. And it's just she's just so powerful. Ah. Uh, Great, great addition to the to the Wes Anderson family. I agree. Has Benicio del Toro been in a Wes Anderson movie before? Yes. Yes. I think. No, I don't know. Oh, because he does something at one point that it reminded me of uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs when he gets angry and he goes... Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm not... Uh, I'm not sure that he has. Well, we can check. You know what? No. He hasn't. No, I didn't think he had. Interesting. No, he hasn't. How crazy. I, I, For some reason, I assumed that he had. He wasn't... I don't know why. I think it's because that, that scene where he's just like... Rrr. It just feels like he fits in. Um, yeah. Tony Revolori and Adrian Brody, of course, have worked with was it with Anderson yeah. before. Uh, Adrian Brody is an actor that I think my personal take is that he's only ever good when he's in Wes Anderson films. Yeah, but, I think Wes Anderson brings the best out of him. Yeah, he really, really does. And in this film, he is fantastic. Yeah, he's very good in this. Um, he's so good. Then we've got Revisions to a Manifesto, which uh, features in key roles Francis McDormand, who you know we all know and love Francis McDormand, uh, Timothée Chalamet, again, we all oh. know and love him, and Lina Kudry uh, as Juliet. Yeah. Um, mm. And there's 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 quite a few other actors in this sequence, including um, oh, who is it that pops up for literally one scene in this bit of the film? The guy, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz is in this bit yeah. for like literally like yeah. a minute. Um, but yeah. but they're the main players in this section: Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, and uh, Lena Kudry, and all three are pretty great. Yeah. Pretty good stuff. And then so good. the final sequence is another one with quite a large cast. Uh, the private dining room of the police commissioner features Jeffrey Wright, Liev Schreiber, Matteo Amalric, uh, who we've seen uh, in a, we've talked about him in our special for Sound of Metal. He was in that movie. Um, yeah. He plays the, uh, com- commis- the commissaire in this film. 
uh, Stephen Park, Willem Dafoe, and Edward Norton. So mm-hmm. a big collection of characters in this final sequence, and we'll, I guess we'll talk when we get to it about how much that works for each of us. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah. There's also... Did you did you say Saoirse Ronan? No, because she's not in the movie, so there's no point to mention her. Come on. No, I'm not, not, no, I'm not listing her as a cast member. She's She has, what, two lines? Uh, that's what I love about Wes Anderson. Like incredible actors that have won Oscars that are, you know, the, you know, like Christoph Waltz comes in for one scene at a dinner table and you go, okay. And then Saoirse Ronan comes in, like she says a couple of lines and then she shoots a gun. Yeah. And what I love about Wes Anderson, the way that actors love to work with him and Sir Sharona just goes there to do a couple of lines. Yeah. Like it could be easily, she could easily say, no, it's not worth my time. Yeah. Because anybody could have done that bit. Yeah. But it was Sir Sharona and I'm so happy about that. Yeah. No, I mean, I do really like Sir Sharona and it's good that she turns up, but she's not really a cast member in the film. I think she's in the... No, but she's I think part all of the family. Of her bit in the movie is in the trailer, pretty much. But she's part of the family. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, the the is, Wes Anderson family. family. Which is which is fine. It's good. Um, all right. Should we talk <laughs> about box office quickly, how well it did? Yeah. Yeah, because it did fairly well. Um, as of January 18th, uh, 2022, the movie grossed $16.1 million in the United States and Canada and $27.7 million in the rest of the world and has a worldwide total of $43.8 million, which I think is fairly uh, respectable for a Wes Anderson film. Um, I'll see if I can get the, hmm. the budget up and we can see. Uh, apparently the budget was 25 million. So it probably just about broke even, but that's kind of, I think, par for the course for Wes Anderson uh, and, and his and his movies, especially in the age of COVID. Um, it grossed $1.3 million uh, from 52 theatres in its opening weekend. So it had a per venue average of $25,000, which was the best per venue average of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it did actually, nice. it did very well uh, until Licorice Pizza actually beat it, had a per venue average of $86,289 when that came out. Um, but that's a respectable film to be uh, beaten by because I really like Licorice Pizza. It currently has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 75% and an audience score of 76% and an IMDb score of 7.3 out of 10, placing it, I think, within the sort of mid-range of his work mm. which um in my opinion is fair what do you think uh i think it, i i don't know i think he, he stepped out of the box in this one so he did a little bit um, he's not done a sort of short story collection like this before no and i i don't know like i i i, I love what he does and i think this film is one that I'm going to watch again because you just told me that on Wednesday's coming out on Disney Plus and the first thing I said was, yeah, I'm going to watch so, it <laughs> again because I've already watched it twice at the cinema. If you're listening to this podcast the day it came out, you can go and listen to watch this movie right now on Disney Plus. It came out yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's one of those that I can watch again and again <clears throat> because there's so much in this film mm, mm. and um and i think it's, it's really interesting and i think it's quite serious i think it, it tackles a lot of 
serious things in a Wes Anderson way. Because, you know, reading reviews, they call about like the quirkiness and say, it's like, yeah, it is quirky, but also Wes Anderson is not about the quirkiness. Wes Anderson is about telling real human emotions and struggles through a different lens. Mm. And I think, I think, I, I don't know. I, I, that's what I feel about him. And so I, I, this one I think is pretty interesting in that sense. Cause I think it, it shows more like sense of like abandonment and uh fight for somebody's rights and uh, things that like have value for no reason. Um, and I don't know. So I think uh, I, I really like this. I've gone already with my review. I love it. That's no, uh, but but no, but you, yeah, you did say. I think I think it's top, but I think they're all at the top because I think he's great. I think whatever he makes is incredible. Mm. You know. Yeah. Mm. Mm. There's definitely some that are at the bottom for me, but not this one. This one's about in the middle. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it's 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 just that I think that some of those themes you just mentioned, because of the nature of the movie, aren't really explored. They're just sort of surface level there, and then the movie moves on. So that's why mm. I think it's a sort of not quite at, the, at his top level, but I do mm. I do like it. I enjoy it as a movie. It's a fun. It's a good Wes Anderson film. Shall we have a chat about the plot? Okay, good. So I've found a summary on IMDb. That's where I'm sourcing my discussion of the plot from. Uh, And it opens with um, the reveal that Arthur Howitzer Jr., played by Bill Murray, um, has suddenly died of a heart attack, Hmm. uh, which is why the wraparound book-ending segment is called Obituary. Um, And in his will, he makes it clear that when he dies, he wants publication of the newspaper to immediately (laughs) stop, which is uh, bizarre. Um, and um, so the final issue of the of the French Dispatch is going to uh, reprint three articles from past editions of the paper and uh, his obituary and then it will cease production forever forever which sounds weird doesn't it well it does provide (laughs) it's a source of jobs for at least a handful of people so it's odd that they're suddenly out of a job yeah Never mind. Which all seem to live in that place. Yeah, yeah, seems like it, potentially. Yeah, so it's like uh, everything is going to be closed and, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one. Interesting. But, yeah, sort of, it it kind of segues, it kind of sets itself up, explains that's what's happening, and then start gets into, before you get to the first of the three tales, we have this slightly shorter segment called The Cycling Reporter. Yeah. That follows Owen Wilson's Herb St. Sazerac as he gives a cycling tour of the town of Onwisa-Blase. Is that... Oh, have I pronounced that okay? Oh, I guess. Yeah. On, yeah. Thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, showing off places like the arcade, the cafe, the pickpocket alleyway, um, and talks about the past and the present of each place. Um, talking about how much, in how little various areas have changed over time um i love this shot where they they you see the before and after yeah like the how the butcher used to look and what the butcher is now and like the pickpocket alley how it used to be and how it is now like this it has like 
two shots in one. Mm. And I love that bit because it's just like, there's so many faces. Um, yeah, these shots different, different split kind of screens. Like get lost in seeing you. Yeah, it's great. So yeah, yeah uh, I really liked this bit. I thought this was one of my favourite parts of the movie. Uh, Owen Wilson nails the tone perfectly yeah. as always. And um, yeah. just the it's filmed almost has an Edgar Wright level of... Um, editing prowess as he moves around this area and it kind of flicks between all these different locations and shows off all these different characters yeah. very quickly. Um, yeah, it's really good. And then I think are all the rest of the other three segments all set in the same town. Is that what's being yeah, set up yeah. here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we kind of get a look at yeah. the, the, the locale that we're going to be spending the rest of the film in, which is um, yeah. smart and clever. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a good, it's a good setup and it, it sets up what the paper is kind of about, yeah. which is just, everything and nothing yeah um yeah that's a very good way of describing it um <laughs> and then and then we get into the first full segment of the film which is called the concrete masterpiece and is for my money the best of the three segments i think i really like this pit yeah um, it's so good it, it's it's each of the three segments is kind of delivered narrated by an, a different journalist and in this case it is T tilda swinton's Berenson, who is giving a lecture in yeah. a in an art gallery um, about the career of an artist called Moses Rosenthaler, who is played by uh, Tony yeah. Tony Revolori as a young man, and then Benicio del Toro in the present uh, day of the of the story. Yeah. Um, and the 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 section where he grows old, like where it, there's Tony Revolori, and yeah. then he becomes Benicio del Toro. That was yeah. so good wasn't it yeah yeah yeah. it links them together it perfectly like, it links them together and that that is it like but tony lavori stands up and benicio del toro stands there uh, sits down and yeah. that's how benicio toro is now the main the guy yeah like, oh so good it's it's really i think clever. this bit is the one that reminded me a bit more like theater it was more like theater, like a theater production. Yeah, and it definitely feels more removed from reality because it's uh, once it goes into the story of Moses, it's, it goes black and white as well. It's filmed in black and white. Um, yeah. So it does feel a bit more theatrical, or at least a bit more, um, you know, like you're watching a constructed tale rather than uh, reality, which is often the case, I guess, for Wes Anderson stuff. But um, yeah. Yeah, it follows. So Moses is a mentally disturbed artist serving a sentence in the Ennui prison for murder. And he paints an abstract nude portrait of Simone, a prison officer played by Leah Sedou, um, who is uh, yeah. just great in this film. Uh, she's oh, got one of those. Like I said before, yeah. <laughs> she has no facial expression, but you know exactly what she wants and what she means. And you meet her. And you don't know she's the prison guard. You meet her and she's naked and she's been um, drawn by, um, I can't say his name, Moses Rosenthaler. Yeah. And um, and then after she gets dressed, you realise that she's the prison officer. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah. they're in a prison. Like there, you go, you think that maybe you're in an art gallery. He's got like this uh, thing and then he touches her. And is a is a, he 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 tests the water and he starts touching her, and then then he goes up and up and up and then she just slaps him off, and then you realize who's got the power in that relationship just from like her her, her slapping her, slapping his hand off away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she gets stressed and it's like, oh, she's a prison guard and he's a prisoner. Okay, <laughs> this is weird. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, I guess because I'd seen the trailer for this a couple of times, those like revelations weren't revelations in the movie for me, which is probably a bit mm. disappointing, but it's the nature of um, going to the cinema. You're inevitably going to see the trailer for this film. I saw the trailer for this film yeah. so many times. Um, but yeah, so they, so this painting that he does, this abstract painting, which is completely abstract, it doesn't look like a naked woman at all, it doesn't look like <laughs> no. anything, um, is seen by Julian Cadazio, played by Adrian Brody, who is an art dealer who's serving a sentence in prison for tax evasion and um, really loves the painting, wants to buy it, but Rosenthal is determined not to sell it to him and there's a great um, scene between the two of them where he's trying to convince Moses to sell him this painting and uh, Benicio Lotto is just like, no, it's not for sale. No, no. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, but does eventually sell it to him, right? Yeah, so uh, uh, Simone arrives when they're trying to, he's trying to tell him that he's going to give him some cigarettes. Uh, and you know, he just wanted cigarettes, like 10 packets of cigarettes or something. And then um, uh, Adrian Brody's character is like, I'm not going to give you some cigarettes. And. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Simone arrives and she she just sees her face and then they start um, kind of talking about money and then she this he gives Simone a chocolate and she eats this chocolate out of this little hole. Yeah. And then and then uh, he then they negotiate how much money and because Simone has accepted then that's fine because hmm. he's in love with Simone. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. So then uh, he's released from prison. He takes his painting with him and puts it on display and it turns Moses into a, a sensation in the art world. And yeah. um, they're desperate for him to paint more, but he struggles with inspiration. And uh, it sort of cuts to three years later at this point where Claude Cadazio and his uncles, played by, I think it's Bob Balaban and Henry Winkler, play his uncles in this segment. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. two fantastic actors. Bob Balaban's been in Wes Anderson movies before. He's the sort of narrator yeah. in Moonrise Kingdom and he's great in that film. But I don't think Henry Winkle has done stuff with Wes Anderson before. And it's good mm. to see him in this smaller role. Um, they basically all go to the prison. They go, they sneak their way into the prison, bribe their way into the prison to see what Moses has been working on. And they get into this room to discover that he's painted these new paintings all along this wall. It's like a fresco. <laughs> um, yeah in this room in the prison and there's a great scene where Adrian you you probably remember better than me, uh, me but there's a scene where they walk into this room and Adrian Brody sees this pa these paintings and sort of goes oh, I did it it's incredible and yeah. it's all thanks to me yeah. and sort of starts to take credit yeah. for the fact that these paintings exist yeah. um, and then when he realises that their frescoes have been painted directly onto the wall he has an absolute shit fit about it. yeah <laughs> which is yeah. fantastic um and then there's basically a great big Barney. Yeah. In the prison. Yeah, because uh, with the prisoners, yeah. Where this And there's this fantastic scene where it's all like everybody's standing still and they're fighting. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> I think the prisoners want to... Um, uh, they they don't know we, why um, Rosenthaler uh, Benicio del Toro's character uh, is got is getting all this praise or is out and so uh, they want better I don't know something and then they come in the room and they start fighting everybody fights everybody else and then yeah yeah it's really good that is really really good and then there's a great bit where he the camera sort of he Rose, Moses is sat in a wheelchair I think and the camera's kind of perched on the back of the wheelchair and he kind of 
goes all all yeah. through this fight as it's happening and you see it from that perspective and then he kind of um smashes into Edge and Brody and they have a bit of a bit of a bust up. Um and then ultimately he helps stop the riot and they release him on probation for helping to stop the riot. And um yeah. Simone and Rosenfall sort of continue their relationship and the fresco is airlifted to a private museum in Kansas. Yeah, no, I really like the sequence. The black and white photography is really good. Uh, all the actors in it are fantastic. Uh, the sort of little montages of um, Rosenfaller doing his artwork are really good. There's a bit where he kind of blows a load of paint and stuff. And yeah, it's really, really fun. It's a good, it's a really good yeah. part of the movie. It's very funny. Adrian Brody is really funny um, as the art dealer. And yeah, it's just a great, yeah, it's a great sequence in the movie. A big fan of it. Um then we move into the second six segment, which is called Revisions to a Manifesto. Yes. Yeah, Revisions to a Manifesto. Uh, this is told by Lucinda Crements, who is played by Frances McDormand, um, and mm-hmm. she's reporting on a student protest that has broken out in the streets of Ennui uh, that is known as the Chessboard Revolution. Initially, it started um, due to them being upset about who's allowed not being boys not being allowed in the girls dormitory yeah that i saw it twice and i didn't really understand what exactly what was the problem but yeah, yeah. something about a girl's it's dormitory and like who that. was allowed and who wasn't allowed yeah, yeah. uh but then th- there's a there's an odd scene that is literally just um done as if it's a scene in a play where one of the boys describes his military conscription yeah. And then that sort of pushes them to a further uprising. But it definitely feels like they're rebelling against just general the world. They're just generally unhappy. Yeah. They just generally want to have an uprising against something. It's very unclear, yeah. purposefully unclear, I think, what they're actually upset about. Yeah, I think it's I think they're upset about things and uh and things that are uh the decision of adults against them and uh and then it becomes more about you know they're forcing somebody to go to do the military service when you know why yeah so the leader of this uh, revolution is zeffirelli yeah played by timothy chalamet um and through one thing or another, Cremens ends up having a sort of odd relationship with Zeffirelli. Yeah, and writes his manifesto for him, which yeah. again I guess is a commentary yeah. on the fact that they these kids are protesting, but they have nothing to protest against, or they're very unfocused in what they want to protest against. To the point where yeah. their manifesto ends up being written by this older journalist who yeah. isn't really part of their thing at all yeah. <laughs> and is meant to be ma- maintaining yeah. journalistic sort of integrity and not being part of it and actually writes the manifesto that leads them to further revolution. Um, and kind of paints Zeffirelli as a bit of an empty-headed, I don't know, not not much of anything in my as from what I saw of it. Um like he because because he's running this revolution but doesn't even have enough ideas to write his own manifesto kind of thing um yeah and then sort of ends up getting into arguments with Juliet another revolutionary um about this manifesto because she doesn't like it and he does like it and then 
there's the the scenes where they're playing chess in the in the square. Yeah, uh, against uh, the mayor or something. Yeah, yeah. and then um, uh, Zeffirelli leaves Cremens, or like their relationship was never a relationship; it was just sort of a physical thing. Uh, so Zeffirelli and Juliet end up falling in love and getting together, and they escape on a motorbike from the revolution. And then it's but after after like a show off with um, Cremens like Julie and and Lucinda Cremens have a have a show like have a standoff yeah uh because uh it's basically the adult talking to the child and the child thinking that they know everything and they're protesting because they're angry about knowing everything but then uh, she's like but you don't know everything and this this kind of like conversation between uh like the younger generation the older generation and like the older generations being like but you need to still have respect for us and it's it's kind of you know they have they it's a right to protest and be angry about things that be taken off but also you also need to respect other people uh uh views and stuff so i quite like that moment and and Jules understanding more, and then they go off, and so they and then they fall in love because they kind of hate each other, but then they fall in love with each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then very quickly, then it's like, and then he died. Yeah. And um, yeah. That's sort of the end of the thing. He died while climbing a yeah. radio station, right? Yeah. 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 Um. But there's one. I think it's one of the most beautiful scenes in this in this bit. When they're and it looks like a like another like theatrical moment when, um, one when the kid is in um is in the military service, yeah, and they're in these bunk beds, and uh, and I don't know, it just reminded me of being at the theater, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, this was uh definitely my least favorite segment of the film. Oh, I loved it. I struggled to find a reason to care about the characters. I just thought it was I yeah, I didn't like this bit. I didn't I didn't get it and uh, yeah. Wasn't for me. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess. I I really liked it cuz I I felt it kind of showed the <laughs> how difficult young people the difficulties that young people have to communicate their struggles uh and adults not understanding because the young people don't, don't are not really there are not really ready to be able to voice exactly what is wrong yeah and adults telling them how they're supposed to do things and they're like well why we're we supposed to do it this way and i think i quite like that because it kind of showed that um uh we need to kind of listen to each other. And I think that's why I like the moment between uh, Jules and Lucinda, because they're kind of like, were like arguing and then they listen to each other. And um, I, I think, I think that's the way to go forward because it's, it's, it's a problem that we have now, like adults saying, oh, you're young, you're, you don't understand. And you go, but I do understand. I just cannot voice exactly what the problem is, but there is a problem, but you're telling me there's no problem. You know, because as an adult point of view, you have no problems as a young kid. You are, you can, you know, you, you're young and, but instead of listening to the, to what the problem is. And, 
I think I think that's why I like this bit. And also reminded me of like how we used to protest about everything in Italy and, you know, try to make our voices heard. And um and the struggle that an adult can have because like Lucinda, uh Zeffirelli's uh parents uh see this woman that is alone and she's you know, she's not young anymore and she has to get married and that's when Christoph Waltz comes in. Oh yeah. And because they want her to like have a date with this guy and she has no interest, but people are telling her that she should be with someone mm. uh, and she should. Uh, and she's like, no, I'm, 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 I'm a famous writer. I'm a successful writer and I don't have to be with anyone. And so um, I feel sometimes this bit is like, you know, the struggle of everybody and kind of listening to each other is really important. Yeah, no, I definitely sympathise with that bit and that idea, but yeah. um, and I love Zeffirelli because he's such an idiot. Mm. It's like the classic. Ah, oh, well, I guess I'm gonna do because he doesn't really believe in anything, does he? No. So and what's... then suddenly, he's been put in this position of believing stuff, and then but then at the end he does, and at the end he realizes what is important, but then he dies. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see your points. So I just to me it just felt like. They, they, uh, I would watch it again. Poses. Like the second time I watched it, I I gave less time to trying to understand and more time to what it was happening. And I think I think it's a film that the more you watch, the better it becomes. Yeah, the thought of watching that segment again fills me with a feeling of boredom. <laughs> I'll be Don't honest. worry, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the private dining room of the police commissioner? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this sequence, uh, this segment of the movie uh, kind of wraps the film up. Uh, it's probably the most action-packed section of the film. Yeah, definitely. Um, and um, even features an animated sequence. Oh. Yeah, which is interesting, uh, an interesting thing. I really like that. Yeah, I really like sequence. it as well. It's good. It was so much fun. Um, this one is being told to us by Robuck Wright, who's played by Jeffrey Wright, the absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic actor who's wonderful in everything he does. And um, <laughs> he's it, like, it's interesting the way that, it's interesting to me that these are meant to be free articles being reprinted. That's why we're being told these stories. But yeah. particularly in this seg- segment and the Tilda Swinton segment, we see them telling these stories in a different setting. Tilda Swinton is lecturing uh, a room full of people and telling the story that way mm. and in this one Jeffrey Wright is ter- recounting this story to um, leave Schreiber on a talk show yeah. but is um, I think there's a discussion about how he's actually verbatim remembering the article and and, and just mm-hmm. reciting the article which is interesting um, yeah and this is one of the more fantastical not fan- no, it's, it's not fantasy but it's like pretty mad ideas that the, that there is a what's the cuisine called police cuisine <sighs> it's basically like the idea that uh, there's, a, there's a specific cuisine for police officers that's meant to be like quick to eat and energy giving yeah. and stuff so um yeah robot Wright has been invited to uh, have a private dinner with the commissaire of the uh Ennui police force uh prepared by the legendary police officer slash chef lieutenant Nes- nescafier which is a Nescafe. very good name. Nescafe. Yeah. Uh, Nescafe <laughs> is a famous specialist in police cuisine. 
Um, and uh, Robert Wright can't wait to taste his food. Uh, there's a fantastic sequence, which I read an article in, I think it was Vulture was the website, uh, about how this sequence was shot, because it's this quite long scene, uh, almost unbroken tracking shot of Jeffrey Wright walking through the police station looking for... Uh, yeah. the commissioner's office and kind of going through mm. all these different areas of the police station. At one point he comes across um, an accountant played by Willem Dafoe who's uh, in a cell and has a quick chat with him. And uh, it's a really good, it's just a really well done. It's a, like probably the best shot in the movie, I think, or the best little sequence in the movie is this um, mm. this bit moving through the police station. Uh, and he finally gets this dinner and it's interrupted when the commissioner's son, Gigi, is kidnapped and held for ransom by some criminals. Uh-oh. Um, led by, Uh-oh. it says here, a failed musician called The Chauffeur, played by... Ed Norton. Ed, Eddie Norton. So uh, they want an underworld accountant called the Abacus to be, Abacus to be released. And the Abacus is Willem mm-hmm. Dafoe's character, uh, who's been held in <laughs> yeah. solitary confinement. Um yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, because, yeah, Jeffrey Wright talks about how he was once in the same solitary confinement cell um, yes. due to homosexuality. He, well, he doesn't say homosexuality, but he does say due to some of uh, my life choices, yeah, the, and then you kind of assume... The IMDb that, summary is, is making that assumption, <laughs> describing it as homosexuality. Know, I don't know. Um, but I, I think that's probably what it's going to be, and then it kind of, it, it again, speaks to the strength of Bill Murray's character that is he's shown to, you know, bail Jeffrey yeah. Wright out of prison. Obviously doesn't judge him yeah. for, you know, being being gay, which is absolutely the right thing yeah. not to do. And um offers him a job, which is wonderful. And that's how we get yeah. to uh, that's how we get to this point in the movie. Um they go down to the 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 hideout, which I think is this hideout, it's on the edge of a square, right? Is yeah. this square the same square that the children are held, holding hostage in their revolution in the second sequence? Oh, I think it is, isn't it? Oh, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. It could be actually. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't think about it. I think it is. Yeah, maybe. I think it is because they go through. Hmm. There's a bit. It, there's like an archway that it, when it when it's the revolution, hmm. the police are on the other side of the archway, yeah. and that's what the the barrier is between the 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 students and the and then in this sequence, the car chase starts by driving through the archway. I think. So I think it's meant to be the same place, which is a cool little kind of, you know, connective thread between them, between the stories. Mm. Um, we meet we meet the cast of characters who are um, in this hideout, led by Edward Norton. Saoirse Ronan's there, um, helping to look after the kid. And um, there's he manages, Gigi manages to sneak out a message telling them to send in this cafe who goes in to give food to the prisoners. I think they don't realise he's actually a police yeah. chef, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. Oh, they do? So why do they eat the food he cooks for them? It seems very foolish. Well, because what he does, they, they assume it's going to be poison, so he eats it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you remember, they pump his stomach after, right, and because yeah. he eats it, they assume that he's fine, yeah. but it's not it, because... But that's... <laughs> it could still have had a sedative in it. It wouldn't have, like, like a slow-acting sedative, he eats it and then they all think it's fine and eat it as well and then they're all asleep. Yeah. And then they just go in and... Anyway, yeah. it's fine. Um, 
So uh, this happens, but then the chauffeur escapes a GG and there is a police chase, a car chase, which is yeah. entirely animated and is wonderful to watch. Yeah. And it is, it's so cool. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they the, the chase ends with Gigi being saved and... Um, Oh uh, yeah, it mentions here that the abacus Willem Dafoe was was starving to death, and Nescafier saves him yeah. by making him an omelette. Yeah. Aww. And then is there a sequence where Bill Murray tells Jeffrey Wright to reinsert a deleted sequence into the article where Nescafier and Robert Wright have a discussion about the poison and a discussion about what it's like to be foreigners living in France. Um, yeah, uh, there's like the best part. It's the best part of the article. It's about food. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, because uh, Jeffrey Wright um and Nescafe, uh, Nescafe is played by is Randall Park. Yeah, uh, both very good actors. Notes, but it's fine. So uh, that's the second sequence. What did you think of this segment of the movie? Um, the first time I watched it, I I didn't particularly enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, I liked it, of course, but I w- I just didn't see the sense in it, and I think I missed a lot of parts. I didn't realize that Nescafe uh, poisoned himself. Um, I didn't. Uh, there and there was like, I think I think because it's such a there's so much going on yeah. that you you're not really. Uh, sure, but I, I the second time I watched it, I really enjoyed it because I, I just stopped trying to figure out what was happening and just enjoyed the the sequence. And I think the part, uh, the animated part is really funny and it's got like moments where like they go up the stairs, down the stairs, around, and then like they kind of chase each other instead of waiting for each other, they like chase each other yeah, around yeah, basically. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, it's really funny and uh, it's 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 just a. a a kind of surreal bit of uh, of this story. Agreed. Um, and uh, yeah, I really liked how it's filmed. It kind of goes along along the police station, just like every room, and and he walks in a room, and like people look at him, and then they carry on working, and then when they're when they they're in the uh, the criminal cove, it's just like a, a shot where they see each each room, and then. They he describes who's in each room and it's just beautiful. I don't know. It's just a really interesting segment and different from anything they've done before. Mm. So I thought it was good. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I, I think when I initially watched the movie, I was a little bit down on it. But as I've thought about the various segments as it's gone on, I really like it. I think it's a really good sequence. Um, it's mm. got some of the best camera work and writing in the film in this sequence, I think. Mm. And um, the story is just quite fun. The idea of like police yeah. cuisine is bizarre and interesting, and yeah, um, yeah, it's a it's a yeah. fun little kind of action packed way to end the movie. I like it. Yeah, yeah. and there's a, there's a moment that I didn't notice in the first time. Um, this the first time I watched, it, but I noticed the second where they're in the police station and Nescafier is reading a paper and how he prepares before he cooks for a meal. Mm. And then um, the chief of police is ready to eat. So he puts it, 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 um, it folds his paper and then they start working. And you think that all of them are different people that work, but they're all Nescafier. 
yes, in yes, the kitchen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice that the first time. I was like, what? And I just like, they're all cooking. It's like, oh, he's got a special way to do things. It's like, <laughs> there's so many of him. It's like a, yeah, a thought, montage yeah, all contained I, within one shot, right? It's really, yeah. that's really clever. No, yeah. I, I like that bit. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of move from that into just a final epilogue uh, where we finish off the bookend segment where as the staff kind of mourn the death of um, Howitzer and uh, set about putting together the final issue to honour his memory. And then that's that's the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, a really good, you know, a really good solid Wes Anderson film, I think, unlike any other film he's made due to the kind of anthology nature of it. Um, yeah. But successfully, successfully done so, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I laughed a lot. I I cried a bit. I I really I really liked it. I thought I thought it was uh, really good. So, are you ready to hit me with a quick ranking of uh, of the segments? Top 5 French Dispatch. Uh, okay, top 5 uh, French Dispatch segments. Oh, so I think, do you mean the cyclist, the recycling reporter, yep. the concrete masterpiece, yep. revision to a manifesto, yep. the private dining room of the police commissioner, yep. and the um, the fifth one is? Obituary. The obituary. Yeah, the wraparound. Okay, so, mm, <laughs> oh, this is hard. I think for me it's probably five, four, three, two, one. Like number five, the private dining room and the police commissioner. Mm. Number four, revision to manifesto. Mm. Number three, the concrete masterpiece. Mm. Number two, the cycling reporter. Mm. And number one, obituary. The reason is that because I n- number one obituary when he sets up the city. For me, that's what I love about Wes Anderson. It's just like how he can create like a world yeah. of, you know, we, you know when, when he goes up the steps. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. When he brings bit. coffee and he goes up the steps and, and it go and it's just so beautiful. And like how uh, the, the city wakes up at uh, seven o'clock in the morning and then it, it, the bells ring seven and everybody's out of their houses yeah. and like setting up of the scenario. And I think that's why that's my favorite bit, because hmm. that's what I really enjoy about Wes Anderson. What about you? Um, interesting ranking. I think I'm going to go with at number five, uh, the revisions to a manifesto segment mm. uh number four obituary the wraparound sequence um mm. number three the private dining room of the police commissioner mm. number two the traveling cyclist and number one the concrete masterpiece which is pretty pretty <laughs> yeah. different list we've both got quite different takes on it which i like i like that the movie can contain you know is so, so different mm. across the across the film that like diff- yeah. different people can take away such different things from it yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. So, yeah, no, I really liked The French Dispatch. It's not my favourite of his movies, but um, it's definitely good that he's made such a different film. And um, yeah, I think we might be seeing some more short story stuff from him in the future, and we'll talk about that um, now, I yeah. suppose. because it's really good with that, with him, because even, like, every film he does at least with the Darjean Limited. And there's always like sometimes like a little short story that comes with yeah. it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because wasn't, there was a couple, no, with the Darjeeling Limited. Well, there's the Darjeeling Limited has that Natalie Portman, um, little Natalie Portman short film, right? 
Yeah. Um, I can't think of any others that have done that, but that's definitely there. There's one called, yeah, Hotel Chevalier and Castello Cavalcanti, which I says commissioned by Prada, but there should be like a kind of, uh, if you check it out, is like uh, uh, Jason Swarsman is, is in a car. Yeah. And um, it's like a short film. Oh, right. I've not uh, seen that. Uh, yeah. So I think mm. because uh, of the unique release nature of the release of this movie and that it was delayed so much by the COVID pandemic, we actually have got details on not just the next film from Wes Anderson, but the next two movies from Wes Anderson have started being talked about. Crazy. Yeah. So Crazy. Uh, we'll have a, as we end this episode, we'll have a little look to the future. His next movie is coming out this year and it's called Asteroid City. Ooh. Yeah, which is an evocative name. I've no idea what this movie is going to be about. And in fact, they haven't yet talked about what it's going to be about. All they've said is that is it is larger in nature than most other ensemble Anderson films. Interesting. What does that mean? I don't Maybe know. Maybe Asteroid City. Could he be doing like a disaster movie? That would be... Fasc- oh, that'd be his, his, so good. his take on a disaster movie would be something to see. Uh, it's got a crazy cast. It's going to have, and it has got a large ensemble... It's going to feature Tilda Swinton, Bill Murray, Adrian Brody, yeah. Tom Hanks, Crazy. Yeah, Margot Robbie, Rupert Friend, Amazing. Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Brian Cranston, Jeff Goldblum, Hope Davis, Jeffrey Wright, Lee Schreiber, Tony Revolori, Matt Dillon, Stephen Park, Maya Hawke, and Fisher Stevens. Who actually, Fisher Stevens is in uh, the French Dispatch as one of the uh, people working in the newspaper. Uh, yeah. Madness. Like, that's. A lot of people he's worked with before, but definitely some newcomers to the world of Anson as well. I don't think Margot Robbie's yeah. worked with him before. Tom Hanks definitely hasn't no. worked with him before. Um, this might be the first time... Scarlett Johansson? Scarlett Johansson does a voice in Isle of Dogs. Oh, okay. yeah. That's but it true. might be her first li- live-action encounter with him. Um, Brian Cranston as well does a voice in Isle of Dogs, but hasn't been in a live-action film with him before. So mm. uh, that's exciting. And then new co- you know, people who've worked with him before, like Jeff Goldblum... Um, Jason Schwartzman, obviously, Bill Murray, of course. Like, it's going to be interesting. I'm fascinated to see what it is. Then, interestingly, yes. he's he's making a, net, a movie for Netflix, another Roald Dahl adaptation um, after the fantastic Mr. Fox. He's adapting the wonderful story of Henry Sugar for Netflix. Mm. Um, I don't know that story. Well, it's in, so it's going to star Benedict Cumberbatch, Dev Patel, Ben Kingsley, Richard Ayoade and Ralph Fiennes, which is interesting as a, as a cast to be announced so far because I think of those, I can only think of Ralph Fiennes as having worked with him before. So yeah. that's quite, quite yeah. a new cast so far. I'm sure more people will be announced as it goes on, but those that's who's been announced so far. This is kind of earlier in production because um, I think Asteroid City has been filmed and is sort of been in post-production now. And pre-production is starting mm. on. The interesting thing about The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar is it's a short story collection by Roald Dahl. And it was always described okay. as an adult book, like not one of his children's books. It's a book for intended for adults. Um, mm. I've read it a long time ago, but I have read it. And my take on it has always been that it's described as a book for adults because it's too boring to be interesting to children rather than <laughs> that it has actual adult content in it. I don't... Is it boring? Yeah, I don't like this book at all. And I, I don't know if he's adapting okay. the story, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, or if he's adapting the book, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, and it's going to be another anthology movie in the nature of The French Dispatch. 
Um, but okay. some of these stories are like, there's one set in a hotel and it's about a giant turtle kind of washes up on the beach. It's alive. It kind of arrives on the beach. <laughs> And guests yeah. in the hotel argue about what to do with the turtle. Like one of them owns a restaurant and wants to take the turtle to make turtle soup. And this little boy defends the turtle and the story ends with the boy <laughs> sort of riding away on the turtle's back or something. It's sort of a nothing tale. There's another story about a guy picking up a hitchhiker who ends up convincing the guy to, to speed and they get stopped by the police and then he gets a ticket. And then when they drive off again, the, the hitchhiker's like, ah, well, you're not going to be in any trouble because similar to how he's like, look, I've stolen the police officer's ticket book, so you're not going to get a ticket. And the guy's like, what, you're a pickpocket? And he's like, no, I'm a fingersmith. Similar to how a goldsmith becomes an expert at uh, working with gold, I've become an expert at working with my fingers, so I'm able to stick. It's just stupid. It's not a good story at all. I, I don't like the book at all. And I can't remember exactly what the, the Henry Sugar story itself is about, but it's again, it's about a guy who becomes really lucky, is able to be really lucky and wins at gambling or something. Okay. Maybe Wes Anderson can spin it into gold. Like he's good enough. Let's hope. Yeah, that hopefully he, he, you know, he's taken on this project because he sees something in there that I've not seen from when I read it. Um, But I'm very perplexed and interested to see what this ends up being because it really doesn't feel mm. like a book that that that... It's not a book that is screaming out for an ad- adaptation, but maybe that's why he's picked it because it means that you no, know what it's not a precious story. It's not a book that's precious to anyone, so maybe it gives him yeah. the freedom to do what he wants with it and turn it into his own thing. And if he does that, you know, yeah, maybe it'll be brilliant. But um, yeah, yeah. who knows what this is going to be? Who knows? Sounds interesting. Mm, it does. Does. So that's been episode sixty of Culture Bucket. I hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm sure you have done. Um, <laughs> and if you have enjoyed it, please can you go and rate us and review us on uh, every podcast place you go and use. Uh, you can even rate podcasts on Spotify now that they've added that feature. Um, we're still available on Spotify despite oh, <laughs> the, the, the nature of their most popular podcast, um, which I don't like. Uh, but never mind. Like how how can somebody like that have a voice? I, I don't, don't know. Get he's it. got a very loud voice, much louder than ours. Um, he's awful. Yeah, he's completely awful. Yeah. Um, but you can. We're not even going to mention his name. Yeah. I mean, if we removed ourselves from Spotify in protest, that would be the smallest protest of all time. <laughs> but but rest assured, <laughs> it would. If we actually had, if we actually had any significant listeners, I would remove myself oh, from Spotify. But as it is. It would yeah. be a waste of time and only detrimental to us in the long run. <laughs> so there's no point. Yeah. So please go and yeah, write us on so, Spotify. So carry on listening. Yeah. yeah. Please listen and to us. And then we can take ourselves yeah, off. One, yeah. And then you protest. can go and listen to us. Out. We're available everywhere. We're not We're not exclusive to Spotify, unlike some. Yeah. Um. So go and go and rate and review us and download us and tell your friends about us and help more people listen to us and, you know, tell us that we if we're good. And if we're not good and you've listened this far, then let us know why we're not good and tell us what we could do to be better um, because we'd love to be better. Not that we're not good already, but obviously we'd like to be better. Um, and next week will be episode 61, A New Era into the 60s. And uh, we'll be we'll, yeah. yeah we'll be celebrating that we'll be celebrating the soon to be released film The Lost City of D by counting down oh. Oh, top five Sandra Bullock movies. Um, 
Yeah, one of our greatest actresses uh, working in Hollywood today. Sandra Bullock is a gem and a treasure, and it will be fun to sort of devote some time to discussing her work, so that'd be great. And, uh, yeah, so please join us for that, and it's been great, and thank you, and go and follow us on social media and Instagram and everywhere that you can find us and join the conversation, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. Love you. Bye. 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 Bye.